0: Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. This is episode 2021.11. And as usual, my name is Rohan Karamandi and I'm joined by the one and only Phil Hawthorne. Hey, Phil. Hey, Rohan, how's it going? This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Mm -hmm. Cloud by Navigasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant and ESP home projects. Configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certs or any other YAML.
1: 2021.11 what that means is like like what like two releases left for the year? Well, I guess this release and one more release and then that's in. One more.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Crazy. It's, Crazy. That is uh, I know it feels like just now did they start uh, you know, whether it's a naming, whether it's whatever, like yep. just the 2011 or sorry, 2011, 2021. Yeah, you're right. It's it's the year's almost there.
1: Yeah. All right, so uh, should we kick it off with uh, some new features coming in this release? Um, yeah. So one thing that I'm very... Uh, it's its a small thing, but I think it's an important one. Home Assistant now has the ability for devices or services which have their own web front end to tell Home Assistant where that is. So this is going to be a fantastic feature for uh, all those little... IoT gadgets that you've got running around the house that have their own IP address on your network, and if you need to go in and and change a setting, you need to log into that IP address. I don't know about you, Rahan, but I've got a few. Even like not even just devices, right? Like I'm running, you know, Grafana, yeah. uh, Sonar, Radar, everything, right? Like everything's got a an IP address and port somewhere that I have to remember. I've got a bookmarks yeah, folder somewhere. Even
0: if it's an API or whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's tricky, right? Uh, So now the integrations in Home Assistant can now uh, report to Home Assistant, you know, this is the URL that a user needs to go to to configure it. So for example, uh, if you've got a Plex instance, when you set up your Plex uh, installation with Home Assistant, you put in, I think, uh, depending on the way you go, you either put in your IP address for your Plex server or you might put in your Plex username and password. If you've got a Plex pass and, and go up through the cloud and then it will discover all your servers that way, now Home Assistant can tell, all right, you know, server A is on this IP address and there will be a little button against the device in the Home Assistant UI. So if you ever need to configure the device, you can click that button and Home Assistant will take you directly to that URL.
0: Interesting. That's actually really, really cool. I mean, it's it's, it's funny because literally yesterday is so... Um... I was trying to set up, uh, reset up a couple of my WeMos, and again because um, I, for whatever reason, when I had you know changed around my network, whatever there was, uh, I had forgot to set a couple of the static IPs on a couple of the WeMos that I had disconnected. Yep. yep. And uh, yeah, so now all of a sudden, their uh, the, the IPs have changed, and it was like, okay, you know, I can find the IPs, but then it's also labeled differently, right? So it's like, okay, yeah. well. The salt lamp isn't the salt lamp anymore, and like that kind of thing, and you know, you move you move outlets here and there and things like that, and then you relabel it in the in home assistant, and then you're and then trying to map all of that. Getting the IPs wasn't hard. Getting the IPs to match
1: the right device was the hard yep. part, right? So, this is this is great. Even things like um, so I've got uh, like an ESP thirty two for some mm. blinds that I've got, which I actually stopped working yesterday, which is quite annoying. And I have a, a Sensibo mm-hmm. little air conditioning controller where it's a cloud device. Yeah. Under, in that, it's just an ESP32, right? So, when I go and log into my router, I log in and go, okay, I need to find out what the IP address is of <laughs> the ESP home device, right? Everything yeah. is just called ESP32. ESP, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I have no idea which one's which. So, you know... And then, of course, you've got to know which port number you need to access on to get to the right web UI or whatever. So, yeah, yeah this is a great little um, little addition.
0: So, interesting. So, will it? does it only do, like, a web thing, or does it even discover, like, the API ports and things like that? So, like, for example, like, my, my Wemo wouldn't have a local web server built in, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it does have an API. Uh, well, Assuming you haven't upgraded your Wemos, but... <laughs> You know, in in a local device like that, that's API
1: only. How does that work, or does it just not find it? I think the in this at least in this iteration, there it's designed as a user configuration URL. So, like an okay. API, they're not going to expose. So it's the idea is that you click the button and then you can log into the device or see the statistics or something. Right, 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 right. Okay,
0: okay. So it's still, I would have still been just as yeah. frustrated yeah.
1: <laughs> yesterday. Maybe you could find the IP address or something in your home assistant config or something. Config, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting because it's not only just for devices, it's also for services. So um, things like Plex, Sonar, um, Spotify, PyHole, right? And I actually, you know, had this problem literally like just like last week or something where I needed to access a service and I couldn't remember for the life of me what the IP address was is in the random Docker compose file I have mm. on my sync so I actually um ended up going through there's a awesome list uh for self-hosted and yes. they have you know um amazing stuff if you check it out if you haven't already it's an amazing list of great tools all generally self-hosted so you know pretty much open source or close enough. And one of the services I found was called um, Heimdall, which is basically like a bookmarks uh, page for, I guess, your services. So I just run it through my Docker Compose, link it up, open up the port. Um, it has a nice background. But then you go in and you, you add your services. So um, Home Assistant is in there. So, you know, you go add a link to Home Assistant. You put in your IP address. It gives a it puts in the Home Assistant logo. Um, and then you just go around and add all the things. The idea being that when you set up a new service, uh, you put in, for example, you know, if you've just set up a Plex server, you put in Plex. That way you don't have to remember, you know, the IP address and the port number. Mm-hmm. You just have a little homepage with all your internal services that you can just click on and access and it is fantastic so now that nice. home Assistant has this uh i may not need to use that as much but yeah i think just shows right like with all the ip addresses services and port numbers you have to remember yeah. that's a, a great little feature
0: this is actually it's actually a pretty cool i mean it, i know it's literally just a splash page but yeah it's yeah that's all it is cool. right
1: it's it's yeah yeah, it, Yeah. The designed for, you know, like uh, server admins, sysadmins that yeah. have a whole bunch of, you know, services running on a, a single server and you just want an entry point to them all without having to bookmark everything yourself. Yeah, interesting. I wonder if this also acts like some kind of a proxy, which might actually be
0: kind of cool where you expose this to outside and then it can get your whatever apps, but... Maybe I'm thinking a little ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. you
1: are. Yeah, but I'm sure there's something that could do it, right? Yeah, Um, yeah, definitely. No,
0: that it's actually kind of cool. But yeah, no, I, I, this like you know the the ability to actually go to the front end, I think is just it's just a nice like. Is it required? No, but it's definitely a nice touch. Um,
1: It's also helps like just reducing you know like if you've got an error in your Plex configuration, right? Yeah. Um, home Assistant can say check out the there's an error in your plex integration right and you click on that and it says you know uh there's an error with this is your plex integration there's an error and then you've got a button right there in front of you that says Mm -hmm. open plex configuration right and then bam you're into the plex server admin without having to fiddle around and find the ip address or port number
0: yeah yeah exactly it's kind of a no-brainer but sometimes it's uh you know it, it it took this long to get there, right? Um, but but exactly. it, it's it it is nice. I I definitely do appreciate that feature. Mm.
1: So it's rolling out to services and uh, integrations across the platform uh, across Home Assistant at the moment. Uh, so right yeah. now they've done um, a few, so including Sonos, Spotify, Sonar, Plex, Tasmota, PyHole, yeah, and as I said, a whole bunch more. And I'm sure more will be added over time. So it's it's not everything. It's just static
0: kind of services that get added to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if there's okay. an integration that you know they know has a static sort of site, or you know where they can work out, you know, for example, like your Plex server, they can work out mm. right, if you're connecting to this IP address, then this is where your Plex config, this is where your Plex web server will be. Then they can add that link there. Interesting.
0: So if you're a, if you're a specific service owner, then or uh, integration owner, rather, um, hopefully that means that you know you can just kind of go back and it's a quick step to get to these services, whatever that might mm. be, right? Um, from from a developer perspective, so that you can actually just go in and uh, quickly add that and say, look for the URL here, and off you go.
1: Yeah, I think they um, okay. they also released as part of the beta, or just even before the beta, they um, on the Home Assistant Devs Twitter, they released um, updates for people that make custom Home Assistant integrations to so say, hey, mm-hmm. uh, we're introducing this feature. You know, If you want to add it for your um, integration, this is what you need to do. So I guess yeah. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of updates coming through hacks as well for those custom components to support it. Yeah, which is great. All right.
0: Um, another new feature, entity categories. Um, now, before you get too excited, you can't categorize your entities, as the name would suggest. But essentially what, what's happening is um, we have various types of entities, and Home Assistant is breaking it down into three different types. Um, specifically, primary, configuration, and Diagnostic. Basically, what happens is um, primary entities are the those entities that get exposed to things like your Google Home or, or uh, the Amazon Echo devices, but uh, and the other ones aren't uh, exposed. So, again, when we're talking about a primary entity, that could be something like a like a switch or something like that. Um, the configuration entity might be something like a um, thing that says, okay. I mean, in the example of a Dyson fan, you might have Again, your on-off switch as your primary. You might have a oscillate switch or something like that as a configuration. So it's to go a little bit deeper into that device and uh, and you know make whatever kind of change or tweak into that device. And then your diagnostic entity uh, might be like, hey, you know, this is what you have remaining on a filter or something like that, right? So that might be that might be kind of akin to how how that would be set up now. To me, you know, the fact that a configuration entity, if it's something like an oscillate switch or a night mode toggle or something like that, if that doesn't show up, I kind of do want that in my Amazon Echo, right? To say like, hey, what's your face? Turn on night Mm -hmm. mode or turn on or oscillate the fan or whatever that is, right? So now hopefully that doesn't mean that um, I have to set up a switch with an automation to trigger this other switch that you know uh, jumping through hoops right like the, the diagnostic piece fine i get i don't i don't care to ask uh at least me personally i don't care to ask uh my you know voice assistant to say you know how what's left on my battery or on my filter mm. or whatever it'd be cool but i don't care that much it's not it's not functionally relevant but i don't know
1: to what are your thoughts on that phil so it's interesting. Um, I actually, I was in two minds about it when I read this and, and when I up installed the beta, I actually mm. got caught out um, with a few uh, of the integrations that have, you know, changed over because there's, this is like a pretty big breaking change in this release, I think. And there's no, you know, you know, generally when they do a massive breaking change, they will give like two release uh, warnings. Right. But there's no yeah. warning in this one. Um, so first of all, uh, I always found it frustrating in Home Assistant when I would link up a new device, you know, taking the example of a Sonar speaker. right? I'd link up a Sonar speaker and, you know, as part of the Sonar speaker would come in, you know, like a switch for um, a alarm and then a sensor for you know, is night mode on or or whatever. And all those would immediately, like, I would look at my phone and there'll be, like, an alert from the Amazon Echo app saying, hey, we've discovered 17 new devices on your network. And then I'm like, what are these 17 new devices? And they're all linked to that one Sonar speaker that I've just added. into home assistant, right? Because it's added in, you know, all the sensors, all the switches, right? And then you go and say to the little lady, hey, Turn on the living room speaker, right? And she doesn't know which entity to use. So, from that point of view, I'm really happy uh, that this is in now because it sort of, you know, as a, a new user experience, when you know you add a speaker, you just want that one entity to come in, the primary entity to go in mm-hmm. to those, you know, external parties, right? Um, I did in the taking the example of uh, the Sonos speaker. I found that uh, one of the, uh, I think it is a breaking change in this release. What well, there's a Sonos set service or set option service in Home Assistant that's been removed. Uh, yeah. That was a breaking change for me. So then, to I use that service to turn some lights on, some speakers on and off. Uh, so to restore that, I then had to go into the, di- uh, to the device config, and I had to enable those particular, uh, you know, features. Uh, all yeah. those particular switches to come back, right? They, they were disabled by default. So it was a bit uh, confusing at first, but, you know, I, I understand why they've done it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably for the best. I think it's going to be uh, a bit challenging for people upgrading uh, and seeing, you know, maybe all your you know services no longer existing, um, entities right. that you thought would be exposed to your Google Home or amazon echo no longer there yeah and and hopefully hopefully
0: the things are categorized properly like like again i the the example that you know with the with the fan that i used was mm. you know arbitrary right and like not necessarily exactly indicative of how that feature works but hopefully those are categorized properly so that you know whoever's building these integrations uh you know realizes hey maybe this is something we want to expose to whatever and that that should be a primary switch rather than a yeah, secondary yep. kind of uh uh, or a primary entity rather than a secondary um, thing. So, I mean, the in in the blog post, the example they use is is a light bulb, right? Where the light itself is an ND, uh, but the uh, you know the power on configuration is is a configuration, uh, which that's fine. I'm not I'm not going to be telling my voice assistant, you know, when my bulb turned when when I lose power, it should auto and gain it back. It should automatically do this. Fine, yeah. not the biggest deal. Yeah. Right. Um I'm I'm my concern is that, you know, a couple of these might get switched around where it might cause some breaking changes to a decent degree, right? Mm Um but yeah. And I
1: think, yeah, and one of the and I think probably the biggest thing that might catch a few people off now is and if I'm reading the breaking changes correctly, is that uh for these secondary and diagnostic Sensors, or well, mm-hmm. basically for the secondary, you know, switches. If you have them in like a Home Assistant group, for example, uh, and you have like a, um, a service, you know, group dot turn off, um, sorry, like group dot you know Sonos night mode, right? For those yeah. uh, secondary switches that aren't, you know, the primary media player component or something, they will no longer respond to those service calls from Home Assistant. So. If you have them in a Home Assistant group, they the service call won't do anything. What you'll need to do is you'll need to go in and um, specific and specify that particular entity ID. So, for the example of the Sonos Night Mode, if I had a group of all my Sonos speakers having a night mode in one group, I couldn't do that from a Home Assistant group. I'd have to then you know replace that call and specify each individual speaker as the entity ID. And yeah. turn that switch off. Um, I think that's going to catch a few people off guard, maybe. Particularly, you know, is There's no real way to work out. You know, is this a primary or secondary? You know, div- entity. Unless you go into the device config and, and see where it lies in those categories. Yeah, yeah,
0: and so. and hopefully, hopefully you know, that is streamlined. Again, I haven't played with this myself where, you know, having seen those multiple, I'm, I'm looking at the, at the GitHub right now, um, of the PR, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen that in mine yet. Um, but I'm sure it's coming, you know, there's uh, just, again, looking through the release notes, there's a ton of stuff that's affected, right? Like, uh, and, and these are some major integrations too, right? Uh, WLED, Synology, NAS, Shelly, Xiaomi, yeah, uh, yep. the Xiaomi MiO, um, Brother, MQTT, like SwitchBot. There's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that's affected. Again, I, I, I'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing. I'm just hoping that it's, it's not done in a, um, or, or, or it is done in a thought out way rather.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, with you know a big change like this, there's always going to be. Someone that, you know, it this doesn't work for. Um, you know, I was lucky enough that I think, you know, I just had to update some calls to that Sonar Set right. Service. Or Set Option Service, I should say. Um, and maybe get a few other things around the place. But, yeah, I think, yeah, just depending on the way you've, you're using your devices and those, you know, things around them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but on to other things. So uh, there's been major updates to Tuya in this release. So... I don't know if you've been following yeah. Frank's Twitter or not, but uh, he has, oh, did you see like you posted up a picture <laughs> full of like, I don't know, like a, you know, a whole bunch of two-year devices. Um, one of them is very jealous. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if he, gets to, if he gets to spend his days, you know, just playing with all these, you know, fun, <laughs> awesome IoT gadgets. Um, but yeah, he's been hard at work making uh, the 2 integration more solid um so yeah. there's a whole bunch of new devices now supported um i believe it's all going to be via the cloud as well um so there's no so this isn't a local two year replacement um they're still missing the locks and remotes but yeah great work mr frank um
0: yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was funny one day I I opened Twitter and I just see like <laughs> Frank going on a rampage. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. had like a big bunch of bugs, Twitter thread a bunch on it, of right? whatever. Like, It's yeah, It's like yeah. live tweeting his whole experience, <laughs> right? <laughs> which which Frank, I know you listen to the show, just keep keep doing that kind of thing. I, it's yeah. it's honestly it's amazing just watching you kind of go through just those and knocking out like 30 different like things all at once. It's uh I don't know. I I, I found it. I don't know if I want to call it entertaining, but I, I definitely found it uh, like holy crap! Like you're you're just picking one entity and just or one integration and just build, rebuilding it from the ground up, right? And and the two year stack is fairly large, so
1: yeah, it's interesting because I know like in the last release two that was the first release of the two year official integration, yeah. and they were only missing covers. I wonder what's you know prompted Frank to go in and and Sort of, you know, rewrite it like is this the same? Is this is he improving the official tier integration? Is this like a another tier integration? Like, obviously, yeah, know, you know, yeah. it, it's you know, better for home. This isn't that you know, the two integration is more solid, but I just yeah, was hoping you know, with the official like with two actually you know, running with it, mm-hmm. um, that you know, this wouldn't have been required, but we'll see. Maybe there's maybe we've maybe I've missed something there.
0: Well, I mean, regardless, I mean its It's again, I'm all always about stability and all <laughs> and, and all of that, so yeah, no matter what it is uh thank you frank, for that one i, I don't I don't even use two devices and and still thank you for that one <laughs> <laughs> all right um what else icon picker um so now you can change uh, an entity's icon just within uh home assistant, so you don't necessarily need to know the m d i or the material design code for it, right so um, if you have customized some of your icons in the past, you'll know that you need to type like MDI colon, mm. uh, whatever the material design icon name is. And if you're not familiar with that, basically material design icons are a standard set of icons that you see for, you know, use throughout different applications, whatever, right. They might be emojis. they might be different like icons, like the lightning bolt to say, you know, a device is turned on or off or whatever that is. Yep. And, uh, and, and you know, those are, it's a standard set of device, a uh, standard set of icons uh, known as material design icons. Um, I, but now you, there's an icon picker. So you don't actually need to know that code or anything like that. Um, there's actually a really good uh, visual studio uh, or VS code, sorry, mm, uh, plugin for that too, which I use just so I know I'm using the right one. So sometimes it's like, I want an outline. Sometimes I want a full filled in yep. one, whatever that is. I don't remember what it's called. I'll find out and put it in the show notes. Um But uh this this is nice because you don't need to do that, <laughs> so which which I
1: kind of like. This is one of those things where I'm like, really, like this. I I, I I knew it wasn't there, but now that you think about it, you're like, huh, yeah, like an icon picker probably would have been a good idea. <laughs> Makes a sense. Fair few releases ago, right? Like, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. But again, I'm glad it's there.
1: Yeah, and of course, open source. You know, I could have just put a pull request in, but uh, you know, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So the next ones. Uh, let me try and explain. I think it's a, a pretty good uh, feature, though. So offset for time triggers. So uh, you can have uh, date time entities in Home Assistant. So the most common would be if you have a smart speaker or uh, something like that, for which might have an alarm. So for example, on Sonos speakers, if you have an alarm set, they expose an entity in Home Assistant, which is just a date time, right? With when the alarm is going to go off in the future. So right. it might be, you know, tomorrow at 7 a.m. With, you can then, in your automation, you can then use that sensor as a trigger value. So, for example, uh, trigger this automation at the time of, you know, the next alarm. You can now add an offset against those time triggers. So if you have an alarm for 7 a.m., you can then say five minutes beforehand or five minutes after that alarm, trigger this automation So this would be good if you have, you know, like a morning wake-up routine, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you've got those uh, lights that you want to, you know, slowly mimic sunrise coming in uh, five minutes before your alarm, you know, you can now do this without needing to go in. And previously you would have to create, you know, like a template sensor, calculate, you know, when's it firing, do five minutes beforehand, Um, (laughs) yeah, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. No longer have to do that. It's all can be done in YAML. So fantastic little feature. That is actually pretty cool. It's again, it's a little things that kind of help here and there, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: All right, Uh, let's talk new integrations. Again, we're not there's not a ton here to to talk about this week, but um, look in. Um, So I guess they they provide uh, you know focuses on providing devices um, you know that integrate something with like a local API. Um, So that is now supported. So if you use something like um, it's basically it's a universal remote that, um, you know, integrates with different like Google Assistant, blah, 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 whatever.
1: Um, But yeah, if you use this. Like an IR blaster, like maybe like control your infrared air conditioner or something with it.
0: Yeah, I think but I think it's more meant for like smart devices right so it's got like again like native home kit support um so on and so forth so to bring basically to act as a bridge um to ir right. devices like you okay. said but, yep. to, but yep. to bring those in into whatever the modern world right yeah um so if you've got like a crappy old um air conditioner that uses just ir and nothing smart well great you can it looks like you can you can pop this in. And and I might be very wrong here, but this is just you know browsing the website, that's kind of the gist I'm getting.
1: I think it was right? a Kickstarter. Like they, um, so it looks Oh cool. Yeah. This so actually
0: looks easy. I mean, this actually looks pretty neat. Um but again, it's oh yeah, come join us on product hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh it's not too bad.
1: It's like sixty bucks. Um it's not the cheapest, but Probably it's like, expensive. It sounds like a similar competitor to like the Broadlink RM. Program. yeah
0: yeah yeah it's not i don't i don't see it being like a replacement for like a logitech harmony or something like that mm. i think it's more kind of just the old bringing kind of the old school devices into the modern world i mean unless unless you have a really old tv that doesn't have any kind of um you know smart features or anything like that and it's ir yeah. only then cool uh <laughs> this might work for you but you know regardless so that integration is now in uh in home assistant which is kind of cool learn something new about a product
1: There you go. Uh, Other noteworthy changes, uh, Nest has WebRTC support, and Mm -hmm. they've also added support for Nest battery cameras and battery doorbells, which is quite interesting. I know, um, so I've got the Ring video doorbell, which is battery-powered, and I think I can get, like, the latest snapshot from the Ring servers, which I have to pay a subscription for. Yeah. But I can't view, like, live you know, footage from that camera. Yeah. I've also got a a Rayo link, Rio Link, um solar powered camera as well. Once again, right, like because it's solar powered, there is no ability for me to tie it into like a Blue Iris or, you know, yeah. get a live feed in home assistant, right? Because you know, it takes battery. too much battery. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, if that support is there from the Nest battery operated cameras, that is Really cool because that's like one of the drawbacks of going battery for me. Like you can't, you know, view a live feed in Home Assistant because of the battery. So I wonder how they get around, or well,
0: I don't think they're getting around it. I wonder how mm. what kind of an effect that has on battery right? So even even if you are using this, I don't, you know, is it a, is it a good idea?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I assume don't know. like maybe it's not like running a live feed. Maybe you'd have to like trigger the live feed or something. If assuming live feed is supported, right? Um, you know, to save the battery, and then it would have a timeout. I'm sure, but. Yeah, like, because I know, like, with the the link, they yeah. just like, no, these cameras do not support any of those protocols, like on Onvif four, RTSP. or yeah. they just like, no, do not support it. We're not allowing it, right? So, yeah, very cool.
0: Yeah, no, that's neat.
1: Another noteworthy change: uh, a tamper device class
0: is uh, is now available for binary sensors. So, if there's some kind of a um, like a device tampering sensor on there, whatever on you know, whatever inter- whatever device you're talking about. Uh, that can now be brought in as its own device class, which is kind of cool.
1: I haven't really You'll seen see. anything
0: with that would have that, but I'm sure that it's out there if it's,
1: it's being built. Pretty popular in things like, um, like Z-Wave and Zigbee, like motion sensors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I think the idea being that you know if you were to walk up to a motion sensor and change its batteries because it detects it's vibrating all of a sudden, it will then trigger to your Z-Wave controller to say, "Hey." Uh, I'm not in a normal state here, right? Like I'm something's being tampered with. Um, and right. then you can do like a different automation, right? So then you could yep. trigger an alarm or a siren, I guess, which Home Assistant now has as of, you know, a couple of releases ago. So very cool. I think Frank added this because um, he was working on the two-year devices and they had tamper stuff. So Interesting. may as well, Yeah, yeah, add support for it. Um, and then, you know, we can extend it out to Z-Wave and Zigbee and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Another cool integration, or another cool noteworthy change, I would say, is support for fan groups. So if you're familiar with light groups, you could, you know, if you've got multiple lights um, from different manufacturers and you want to group them all together as a single entity in Home Assistant, you can do that. And you can also do it with fans. So, you know, if you've got like a Dyson fan, a Xiaomi fan, maybe a, a big-ass fan, uh, in your ceiling. Yeah. You can have them all grouped as a single entity in Home Assistant, you know, turn them on to level one. They will all turn on to the same level one applicable setting for that platform at the same time and then turn that one single fan off and all fans turn off. So, very cool. All right. Um, some breaking changes. Um,
0: obviously, there's more in the release notes. These are just a quick uh, overview of what's there. So, if you're running your own... Uh, or sorry, if you're running Home Assistant in your own environment, this would kind of affect you, but Python 8 is now deprecated uh, and will be removed in 2022.1. Uh, support for 3.10 isn't really there yet, so you should really uh, upgrade to 3.9. Um, again, if you're doing, you know, whether it's, um, you know, Home Assistant OS, supervised container, whatever that is, you don't have to worry about. If you're dealing with a virtual environment or some other custom installation, you um, then, then you have to worry about it. Other than that, you don't really need to do anything about it. Home Assistant will take
1: care of all that. Mm. It's interesting that I don't know. It's probably affects you know like a small percentage of users, but it's interesting that they're you know all they're deprecating Python eight without having support for you know Python ten out. Yeah. Like, you know, and I should say, like, Python 3.10. Yeah. You know, they haven't finished that yet. I mean, maybe they, you know, know, I was only a little bit left to go. We'll have it out in the next release or something, which is fair enough. But it just, I don't know, like, it seems very premature to say, hey, uh, we haven't finished uh, support for 3.10, but, uh, you know, bam, here's, uh, we're now deprecating, you know. Because I know they want to keep
0: only two cycles behind, but... Yeah, unless the idea is you know they're they're gonna be they're gonna be having three dot ten support before twenty twenty two dot one.
1: Yeah, oh, I imagine they would. Like, well, and this puts right. them under like a bit of pressure to now do it, right? Like, because otherwise, you know, if they don't sure. come twenty twenty two dot one, they're only gonna have one version of Python officially supported, yeah. right? So, I mean, it might be, but I don't, I don't see that happening. But it might be. Yeah, I yeah, I'm sure they've got. Uh, it just seems like a bit premature for me to, like, I, I don't know, it's just my personal thing, right? Like, don't, I wouldn't say, hey, uh, we've only got one official supported version, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's just my personal preference. Um, anyway, so another set of breaking changes, which is potentially going to have a, a bit of an impact if you've, you know, been around with Home Assistant for a while or maybe you've set up uh, the recorder in a certain way, the Home Business Project is now going to explicitly define a set of databases that will be supported by the recorder component. So, only the following databases will be supported after 2022.1. That is, MariaDB greater than 10.3, MySQL greater than 8.0, uh, PostgreSQL greater than 12, and SQLite greater than 3.32.1. If you are using any other integration for the recorder component, it will not be supported. And after 2022.1, the recorder just won't record any entries to it. So when I saw this, I'm like, that's it. I set up my MySQL Docker container like years ago. I'm sure it's not upgraded enough. I'm going to have to, you know, restart everything. But luckily, I haven't seen the warning in my convicts. I assume I'm safe. Um, But I'm sure there's people out there that are going to be caught out by that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess once in a while, it's okay to do that. Um but again, I understand that they're they don't want to sit there and support like exactly. Oracle database for the two people that use <laughs> the yeah. home assistant yeah. with that, right? Like yeah. that, that part makes sense. And and it sounds like they've got, you know, for the most part, most of the majority ones, right? And then what's neat is again they can see for people that have telemetry turned on i'm guessing Mm, they can see which which of these integrations they have um i haven't actually looked so i might i might just be blindly saying that but
1: no but that's probably what's fed into this you know why they've gone with this decision right they can see yeah um you know all right if we're going to support like you know x amount of people have mysql let's make sure that we at least support this version because it's considered latest
0: yeah well and and you know to me that makes sense right like it's um, again, it's not, it's not about the version numbers for me. It, it's more about the actual platform, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, between, uh, Postgres, MySQL, Maria, and SQLite, I think, I think they're fairly covered. Now, again, people might be, you know, getting their pitchforks ready to, to, you know, <laughs> to go yell at somebody because whatever they use isn't supported. But again, keeping in mind that this is meant to, um, it's meant to streamline, you know, the what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's meant to streamline the developer's ability to maintain the software, right? So again, understandable.
1: We've got to remember, like I think, and I and I'm just you know spitballing mm-hmm. here. I'm I have no inside knowledge here. That with all the recent you know statistics and long term statistics changes that they're introducing, right? This is where that data is going to be, um, and you'll notice that you know all the databases that are going to be officially supported now are SQL based, right? So they clearly, you know, by just limiting to those, you know, types of databases and, and those versions, they're gonna ensure that, you know, when they come to do some more advanced um, you know, long term statistics and keeping indexes in order yep. and, and keeping that database running smooth and fast. Um yeah it makes perfect sense
0: yeah exactly and i mean will your custom database whatever not custom but like will the a non-supported database still work maybe i don't know but it's um definitely recommended to go with one of these ones right i mean again like microsoft sql isn't on there, oracle isn't on there again this isn't meant for
1: those use cases anyways for the most part but mm-hmm. you know and plus i guess you know as they start doing you know migrations and and updates you know you might not Mm -hmm. get those new table keys or columns or anything like that so eventually it'll stop working. yeah
0: yeah and i mean worst case i mean i'm sure somebody will come out with some kind of custom component (laughs) that supports it's just this is the official project won't be supporting that right which i'm okay with i don't know Moving on the Xiaomi Mio. So, if you use the Xiaomi Mio platform, attributes for some of the vacuum entities have been replaced with sensors. So, again, if you have if you have anything around that, then you should probably look at this.
1: So, I think that yeah, that's going to be related to like you know those primary, secondary, mm-hmm. you know, sensors. In a lot of, I think over the coming releases, we're going to see a few platforms doing this. You know, removing those attributes and putting them out into sensors. Um, and yeah and Xiaomi you know vacuum cleaners are very popular in the community so I think this is going to affect a few people yeah all right simply safe uh, if you're using the simply safe integration it now requires a new web-based authentication method so when you start up home assistant is going to automatically prompt you to reauthorize your instance so you'll probably get like a little notification in home assistant and then just log in and go into the integrations page and reauthorize your Uh, configuration there Yeah, sonos the
0: sonos dot set option service has been removed um and instead now it has individual switch entities which kind of controls the features and the display right so you know that's a that's one change but there's actually a couple more the night sound and speech enhance attributes are also removed um so you know if you're if you're using these then um you probably want to replace them with the switch entities now again, it sounds like this might be related to some of those changes that we talked about earlier. Uh, yeah, this is definitely which... what I
1: got caught out. actually, I just realized as you were saying that like those attributes, the uh night sound and, mm-hmm. and speech of at hands attributes They were like I think I had originally created uh template sensors to handle all that to um I'm just gonna have to remove those template uh switches and replace them. With the official switches now, um, yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: it's going to be more solid Which,
1: moving forward. I was right? going to
0: say, it might, in that case, it might not be a bad thing, right? It just again, it's not a, it's not a workaround.
1: Yeah. All right, and some integrations leaving in this release. Uh, we've talked about these have been deprecated for quite some time. Uh, Ascent, Lyft, uh, Nello, and of course the Wink integration. Bye bye. So R.I.P. Yeah. Thanks for. Thanks for sticking around. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For as long as you did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if you have those platforms, just
1: don't. Delete them, yeah. I think delete them from your config, you're just going to cause errors. They're they're done. They're not going to do anything for you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is 2021.11. That's right. Cool. All right. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Well, I'm going to go and add more services to my Heimdall dashboard now, I think. (laughs) Ones that's I, awesome. I, I can't remember. Right? Like it, it all started because I couldn't find the the port number for ESP Home. Stupid URL. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I just I got so frustrated. I knew it was on a Docker container somewhere. I'm like, that's it. I need to know where to act. Like I just I didn't have a bookmark. I'm like, I'm I'm doing this right. And so there it's born. Now I've got something else to manage and kill my time with. Right. There you go. Yeah. Nothing. And I will be the only one that ever used it. So I don't care. Yes. All right, nice talking to you. Speak to you. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H A S S podcast.io.
0: The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Caramandi. For links to topics we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.